Well, it's been a memorable weekend in Oklahoma. We woke up yesterday and our world was shaking. And then later in the day, for some of us, our world was rocked again when a certain football team in Houston lost. But here we are, Sunday morning, Labor Day weekend. And you know, Labor Day weekend used to be that last big summer getaway for folks before school started. Of course, now school starts long before Labor Day weekend anymore, but it's still a three-day weekend. We know there are many people traveling today, and we're so glad that you decided to come here. We knew there'd be people traveling. We knew there'd be people in mourning for what happened yesterday in Houston. And then there are also people who are missing the Broadway series, of course. I thought, what could I do this morning to make this special? And I thought, well, for those who are missing the Broadway series, I thought I could sing selections from Les Mis or Phantom. But then I thought, no, I want them to stay. And so I thought, what else could I do that is special? And I thought, I will share with you this morning the secret of life. According to Curly. Now you're saying, who's Curly? Well, if you saw the movie City Slickers in the late 1980s, you might remember who Curly was. He was played by Jack Palance. It's a movie that stars Billy Crystal as well, about a group of men who are having a midlife crisis, and they get together and they decide to go out to a dude ranch, and they're going to be part of a cattle drive. And so they go on this cattle drive, and they meet Curly, this hard-as-nails cowboy, and he doesn't think much about these city slickers, but after time, he begins to soften. And soon he and Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, are out riding the range looking for stray cattle. And Mitch is going on and on about all the problems in his life that he's having with his marriage and everything else. And Curly stops him. He says, you know what the secret of life is, don't you? And Mitch says, no. And Curly does this. And Mitch says, your finger? And Curly says, you've got to focus on one thing. And when you focus on one thing, nothing else matters. And Mitch says, but how do we know what the one thing is? And Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. What's the one thing? Years ago, Gary Keller decided to found his, co-found his own insurance company at in Austin, Texas. It was a great insurance company. It grew and it grew. It became the largest insurance company in Austin and then in Texas. And then like what happens to so many businesses, at times they hit a wall. And he didn't know what was wrong. They were still doing the same things they had done before to make the company successful, but they weren't moving ahead. And so Gary Keller, he went out and he hired a, a business coach. And they sat down and they talked about the company and they shared the goals, what he wanted the company to do. And his coach went away and he thought about it. And he finally came back and he said to, he said to Gary Keller, he said, well, what do you think the problem is? And Gary said, I don't have the slightest idea. And he says, I'm going to tell you, there are 14 positions in his company that need new faces. And if you can find those 14 people, then I believe your company will continue to grow and be successful. 
And Gary Keller said to him, he said, just 14? And the coach said, yeah, Jesus needed 12, you need 14. And so Gary Keller resigned as CEO, and he devoted all of his time to finding these 14 new faces. And when he found them, and he identified them, and he hired them, then things started to happen again. And it was during that time that Gary Keller discovered the one-thing strategy, of which he would later write a New York Times bestseller called The One Thing, that you can find in Threefold. And he said, we would get together with these leaders, and I would say, let's make up our list of things we want to accomplish to move the company forward. And so they would do that. They'd write down these to-do lists. You know, we write down to-do lists, right? But he said, I found out that they weren't getting everything done. They would get some things they would check off and other things that wouldn't even get done. And sometimes it was the most important thing. So he said to them, how about we just do three things? Just three. Just try to get three things done. And they said, okay, we can do that. But you know what? They couldn't. There were still some times when they didn't get the three things done. He says, how about two things? Do two. And they couldn't get two done. And finally, Gary Keller says, okay, Let's make this as simple as possible. How about just one thing? What is the one thing that will help to make a difference in your job and move the company forward so that we can meet our goals? And when they did that, the company began to grow and grow and grow. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to focus on the one thing, isn't it? You know, we're such multitaskers. I didn't even know what that word was until a few years ago, you know? And now we're all about multitasking, you know? Sometimes we are talking on our phone to someone while we're writing a message on our tablet to someone else, and then on our desktop computer we're looking up something on the Internet, and we don't really know what we're doing. There's an old Russian proverb that says, if you chase two rabbits, you won't catch either one. So you might as well focus on the one thing. You know, I've discovered in this age of technology that I can have multiple conversations with people, like my kids, and I have a lot of kids, as some of you know. And so sometimes I'll start writing a message to one, and I'll say, how is the new job today? And then I'll write a message to another one. How was school? How were your classes? Did you do well? And then to another one, I might write another message. How are you feeling? I knew you weren't doing well over the weekend. Are you feeling better? And pretty soon, I've got three or four messages going out, and the messages are coming back at me. And I don't know heads or tails which is going on. And sometimes I send the wrong message to the wrong kid, all because I'm multitasking. Instead of focusing on one child, on the one thing. Our Jewish brothers and sisters understand this. They know about the one thing. They know what's the most important thing. And that's what I want to talk to you about today as we begin this new sermon series in which we're going to focus on what is the one thing that is so important for us in our lives. For them, it is this centuries-old text from Deuteronomy, the Shema, the Shema. A good Jew will pray this at least twice a day, in the morning and in the evening before they go to bed. That's what they're supposed to do. And if you were to hear them praying, you would hear them saying, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Adonai Elohim, the Lord is our God. Adonai Echad, the Lord is one. And that's what they say. 
And it's a fundamental belief for a good Jew to say that and to understand what does it mean? There is just one God. There are no other gods before him. There is the one God who is our source and our being, the one God that we turn to who makes a difference in our life, who bestows mercy and grace upon our lives to focus on the one thing. You know, for a good Orthodox Jew, they would even be taught that maybe when they were saying this prayer, they would cover their eyes to block out any distractions. You know, sometimes when we pray, we close our eyes, we bow our heads, they would put their hand over their eyes. And they teach their children to do the same thing. You know, this scripture talks about teach your children diligently. They understand the importance of passing this on from generation to generation. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And so you would see a good Jewish boy or girl, when they are praying this, they might also be covering their eyes. This morning, in our children's ministry upstairs, when our children gathered before they went to Sunday school, they recited the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So if you have a child or a grandchild that was up there, I hope you'll ask them later on, what did you do today? Did you recite the Shema? And if they don't know what that means, and you tell them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. If they still don't know, you better check and make sure they were really there. What I like about our children's director, Susan Easton, is she takes so seriously the teaching of what's important in the Bible, teaching those stories. She has a three-year curriculum in which she tries to cover all of the major stories and the people in the Bible because she understands that children, like adults, go through difficult times in their lives. And there are times when you have to have that foundation, when you have to be able to have something to fall back on. So she wants to make sure that these children have that proper foundation. They understand that the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. I think it's so important that our children were doing this this morning. I think we should do this even. Let's say the Shema together. It's in your bulletin in the scripture. We're just going to say that first part. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You can read it from there. And if you think you already know it, want to impress your friends and neighbors, you can cover your eyes too. Let's say it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is is one. That's important. That's important to say, important to understand for us. The one thing we need to understand. What can help us to understand this text, this important fundamental belief even better? And I began to think about that, and I thought, what if the one thing we did was really to listen to God? What if the one thing we did was really just to listen, to listen very closely to what God is saying to us. You know, a lot of us don't listen very well. They say listening is an art. It's something we work at. I think so oftentimes when someone is speaking to us, we're already thinking about what we're going to say next instead of listening to them. And then there are times when we listen, but we don't really understand or we don't quite get the message. John Maxwell tells a story about two good old boys who were out hunting in the woods, and one of them had a heart attack and fell face down. And the other one grabbed his cell phone, he dialed 911, and he said, my good friend Bubba, he's fallen down, he's had a heart attack, I think he's died, what should I do? And the operator on the other end said, listen, 
here's the first thing I want you to do. First of all, check and make sure he's dead. And she said there was a pause on the phone. And then there was a shot. And then the man came back on and said, what do I do next? (laughs) Just remember, you didn't pay anything to get in this morning. We have to listen, but we need to understand. I don't think we listen to God that well either, to be honest with you. Last week, I had the privilege of working with some people and training, actually it was two weeks ago, of talking to some people who are part of a new ministry of ours and talking to them about the importance of listening. A few months ago, we were listening when some folks in our church came to us who were widows or widowers and said, you know what? We need a new ministry for those folks who have lost a spouse. If you've never lost a spouse, you just can't imagine what that is like. We need to do something to reach out to these people. And so we got together and we began to think and we began to pray about it. And then a couple of months, we kicked off this new ministry called Passages. Morgan Jones sings up here in the choir is in charge of that. And already we've started a grief group for those who feel like they need to come together and work with a grief counselor. We've also organized some social events where people could just come together for fellowship and go to lunch, attend the theater downstairs. But then a third thing we're doing is to train what we call shepherds because we decided that there needed to be people who are already widows or widowers who have been through this experience so that they could walk with folks who have just recently lost a spouse, who they could walk that journey with them. And we talked to them about the importance of listening and saying, I know you have your story, and there may be an appropriate time to tell that, but you need to stop and you need to listen to their story now and to hear what's on their heart and what's happened to them, to listen, to listen to God and what God has to say. How do we do that? During the course of this sermon series, each week we're going to have a series of challenges for you, things we're going to ask you to do that we think will help you to discover the one thing This week, the one thing that I want to challenge you to do is to take time and have a daily devotional time. Now, I know that's something that Bob Long talks about a lot, doesn't he? And I know many of you are already doing it, but I also know many of you are not. What would it be like to take time every day, it doesn't matter whether it's morning or evening, the middle of the day, whenever it is, to take time to grow still and to pray and to listen. Maybe you can find some devotional material you'd like to read. We have some in threefold. Maybe you'd like to read the Bible. But to take time to grow still. I think if you do that over the course of this sermon series for the next 30 days, if you're not already doing it, I think at the end of that time, you will find it makes such a difference in your spiritual life that you want to keep doing it. So that's my challenge for you today to start a daily devotional time, to do it for the next 30 days, to spend that time with God, to listen to what God is trying to say to you. Secondly, what would it mean for our lives if the one thing we did was to really love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might? I mean, I think that sounds like a pretty tall order. To love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our might. You know, I love God, 
But there's some days I'm sure I don't love God as much as I should love God. It's not an easy thing. Once again, for our Jewish brothers and sisters, for them, when they say the Shema, what it means to love God with all their heart and soul and might, I believe, means that they understand that you love God all the time. From the time you rise in the morning until the time you lay down at night. It means that you love God in the good times and in the bad times. You know, there are going to be times in our life when it's hard, when God seems so distant, so far away, maybe we've even pushed God away, and we're just not sure how we feel about God. Do we really still love God? Something bad has happened in our lives. And yet I believe that God is still loving us, never abandoning us. What does it mean to love God in the good times and in the bad times? Mother Teresa was just canonized as a saint in Rome yesterday. And if you've read some of her writings, even she has admitted to herself, there were times when I did not hear God speaking, that I could not hear God. It happens to all of us. I was thinking about this when I thought about Jerome Silberman, who died last week. The name may not mean anything to you. He was the son of uh, Russian immigrant Jews. And when he was very young... His mother was ill. She had not one but two heart attacks when he was very young. And the doctor said to Jerry, he said, here's what I want you to do. Your mother needs some joy. She needs some light in her life. I want you to go home. I want you to tell her jokes, do whatever you have to do to make her smile, to make her laugh. And so he went home and he began to tell her these awful jokes. And pretty soon she began to smile and she began to laugh again. And he thought, I'm pretty good at this. And so he began to tell jokes to other people, and they laughed. And and then pretty soon he decided, I think I could act. You know, I'm going to be in the theater. I want to act. In fact, I want to make this my profession. And when he did that, he changed his name when he was in his 20s, and he changed his name to Gene Wilder. And Gene Wilder died last week at the age of 83. And if you are from my generation, or maybe even if you're not, you know who Gene Wilder is. For a few years in the 1970s, he was in a lot of very popular movies. He was Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He was in Blazing Saddles. He was Dr. Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein, one of my favorites. He had a lot of fame, made a lot of money, and he made a lot of people laugh. But as I said, life was not always easy. When he was younger and his mother was ill, eventually they would send him off to a military school where he said, I was the only boy there who was Jewish. And every day these other young men would taunt me and they would make slurs about me being Jewish. And he says, and not only that, but eventually they started to beat me up. And often, but they wouldn't hit me in the face. They would hit me in my arms until they were black and blue And then I would have to wear long sleeves when I went home to see my mother during the holidays because I knew that she would cry if she knew they were beating me up. Well, Gene Wilder survived those days, and as I said, he went on to great fame. And even then, there were hard times. You may remember that in 1984, he married Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner, you remember, who was one of the original cast members for Saturday Night Live, I think at one time some people would have said, I think she's the funniest lady comedian in the country, and he's the funniest guy. And they got married, and they had this great marriage. 
They'd been married five years when Gilda was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and she died. A few years ago, Gene Wilder was interviewed, and somebody said to him, they said, all these things that happened in your life when you were a child with Gilda, he said, do you ever ask the question, God, why did you do this to me? And Gene Wilder said, that's a stupid question. I don't believe God did these things to me. I don't think God causes bad things to happen to people because bad things do happen to good people, right? We know that. And Gene Wilder said, life isn't always fair. It's just that way. He says, you remember that scene in the movie Unforgiven when Clint Eastwood confronts Gene Hackman and he's about to shoot him and Gene Hackman says, wait, wait, I don't deserve this. I'm in the middle of building a new home. It's not fair for you to kill me. And Clint Eastwood looks at him and he says, it's not about deserve. It's not about fairness. And he shoots him dead. Life is not always fair. Bad things do happen. As our pastoral of congregational care, I have the privilege of getting to visit with and relate to some of the most courageous people I know. People who are going through all sorts of tribulations in their lives. Family breakups, illnesses, serious illnesses, some with cancer, going through treatments for radiation or chemotherapy. And, and so many of them have the most amazing attitude. I don't know how they do it. I have to believe that they understand these words from Deuteronomy, that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, that God will be with us, They remember the words from Isaiah when God says, when you walk through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I will be with you. What does it mean to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our might? It means to love God in both the good times and the hard times. And you know, the scripture also says that for a good Jewish person, they are to bind these words to their wrists, wear them as frontlets upon their eyes. And and if you see a good Orthodox Jew, what they may have is a little black leather box called a tefillin. And in that box, they will take parchment and write scripture on it, maybe the Shema, maybe something else. And then they will fold it up and place it in that box and they put it on top of their head and attach it with straps so that the word is always there in front of them, just like Deuteronomy says to do. Now, I don't see many of you as the box-wearing types put the box on your head, but there are many things we can do to remind ourselves that God is with us. Some of us wear crosses or other religious jewelry to remind ourselves. Some of us wear our our wristbands, right, that remind us of the kindness project here at St. Luke's, that when you do a kind act, as God would ask us to do, then you get to move this, to your other wrist. And then some of us have a coin that we got when we became new members here at St. Luke's. It says, bringing hope to all the world, sharing God's love and bringing hope to the world. I carry this coin, and when I do, it reminds me of whose I am and who I belong to. 
The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. He is my source. He is my being. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my high tower. He is the one that I turn to when times are difficult. This week, what's the one thing you will do in your life that makes a difference? That makes a difference in your life? That makes a difference in your life as a Christian? That helps you to move your life forward, to grow closer to God, to be happier in your life? What is the one thing? Maybe it's you'll start this daily devotional time if you're not already doing that. Maybe you will take time to grow still and to listen to be still and to know that God is God. Maybe you will take time, and the one thing you will do is to focus in your daily devotional time on what does it mean to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might. The one thing. What is it for you? I can't answer that. The one thing. Curly says, you've got to figure that out. And that, my friends, is the secret of life. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer as we listen to God speaking to us today. Let's pray.